Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome you to Community Baptist um, Sunday service. I'm going to start things out with a few announcements. We'll do prayer requests, and then I'll open us in a word of prayer. Uh, immediately after service, we need the members to help us. We need to get up chairs because somebody will be using the building this week. Uh, today is the fifth Sunday, so we will not have Sunday night service. Um, upcoming events we have this week, we do have prayer and Bible study. That will be Wednesday night. That will be at 7. Now, on your way out in the foyer, on the left, there are some vases. By June 1st, we are no longer putting flowers on the ground. The flowers have to be on top of the gravestone, or you can purchase one of these vases, or you can purchase them on your own. Now, these vases we're going to have here for about two weeks. They're in the foyer. They're about $70 a piece. So if you're interested in these, you can sign up. You do not have to purchase them now. But starting June 1st, there will be no longer flowers on the ground on the, at the graveyard. If you have any questions, you can see Chris or you can see any of the deacons. Also on your way out, on the left, there are Christmas cards that are left over. Please look over that table. Make sure you don't have any on that table. Make sure you pick those up. Uh, now, other upcoming events. Next Sunday will be our first Hispanic service. Uh, deacons, we have a meeting on Monday the 7th. That will be at 6 o'clock, and I have supper that night. Uh, baby dedication on the 13th. We have movie night on the 27th. That Sunday night, we will do hot dogs at 5, movie at 545. And then Saturday, March 12th, will be our annual youth barbecue. If you're interested in purchasing a shoulder, cost of these are $50. And we're also doing barbecue by the pound, $9 per pound. Now, today we are doing communion. Now, just to give you a heads up, we have the breads in the individual cups, just like the juice. So we will hand out the bread, come back, we will hand out the juice. So um, they will be in the same container, but the bread will be first, the juice will be second today. Now, are there any other announcements I need to mention at this time? Okay, so there's going to be a trash can at the back. Okay, perfect. So only way out, if you would take your cups and throw them in that trash can, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank you for that, Judy. I do have a th uh, thank you card. Dear Chris, JR, and Community Baptist Church family, thank you for your kindness expressed to the Debbie Osborne Garner family. Although our sister will be dearly missed, we rejoice that she's now made completely whole and experiencing the joys of heaven with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and with our beloved mother and our grandson, Taden and all those who've gone on before her. May God bless you all for, all for all your love and generosity. Please continue to lift our family up in prayers, especially her daughter, Tia, uh, Jan Ballou, and Mark Ballou. So continue to pray for the Debbie Garner family. Um, also, there are several other families that have lost loved ones. Uh, pray for Dan Taylor, the Shirley Bolt family, the Tommy Caudill family, the Randy Burns family. Um, also, I just got this. Jackson Mitchell is leaving for Boston today. Um, he's having a heart cath on Wednesday, so be much in prayer for the doctors and Jackson and pray for the report as it comes back this week. Um, we also need to continue to pray for Gail Muller. Now, are there any prayer requests we need to mention at this time? Yes. Julia, did you say STEM? Okay. All right, be much in prayer for her. All right, any others? Judy.
What's that first name? Nathan. Nathan Call. Okay. All right. Johnny. The English family. Okay. All right. Any others? Donnie. Continue to pray for Debbie Hodge. Okay. All right. Any others? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you for today. Lord, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to have to be in your house. Lord, we thank you for your son, Lord. You sent it down on the cross, saved from our sins. Lord, we did not deserve it, but, Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, for all the ones on our prayer request, this, Lord, there are so many families that have lost loved ones. Oh, Lord, be with them. For Dan Taylor and his family, Lord, be with them. For the Debbie Garner family, be with them. For all these that have upcoming uh, tests, Lord, pray for Jackson today as he flies out. Be with him. Be with the doctors, Lord. I pray for everything goes well on Wednesday. And, Lord, we pray for a good report. Now, Lord, we pray for the service today, Lord, as we have the opportunity to remember what you did for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, be with Chris. Give him the words we need to hear. And, Lord, we want you to know we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But this 
I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my Shut up. 
took it all away every gift you ever gave the sun that shines in my days the stars that you display and if you never blessed again if you gave another trial instead if the precious thing that i held was stripped out of my hands i would stand and praise your holy If you took it all away Thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We uh, have are beginning a uh, two-part series on are you satisfied or dissatisfied with God? And that's what our ultimate question is going to be uh, to you uh, for the next two weeks. I'm going to give you a lot to think about because uh, God has given me a lot to think about. But we do have sermon notes. If you didn't pick those up, just raise up your hand and uh, one of our deacons will make sure you get those. It is good to be back uh, with you and uh, in person. And uh, we continue to have, you know, uh, Wednesday nights. We've had um, uh, our, our series on David. Uh, make sure you avail yourself to that if you're working on Wednesdays or see it on Facebook. And so um, we're, we're, we're thankful to be able to be online still and have this. But <clears throat> so uh, since September, God has really beginning, been able to deal with me uh, in, in my heart about certain things. I hope that God deals with you on a constant basis and it's is you know is he's perfecting the saints is what he's doing and and dealing with uh, anything that's going on in our life and so he began to reveal to me some things in my life and so <clears throat> he has definitely preached this to me and then we come to this week this week we have started uh, well I have started a couple things in my life that that has really uh, brought this to um, to realization of how far I still have to go. Uh, you ever have those weeks where things happen over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, and just crazy things will happen, and you're like, how did all this stuff come to my life? And so um, it, it, it continues to reveal to me how much and how far I still have to go. So the question that I'm asking you, are you satisfied or dissatisfied with God? Well, I would say as Christians in here, we're going to all say, well, I'm satisfied with God. You see, the book of James is very clear. He says, faith without works is dead, being alone, right? And so as he's, as he's preaching this, he's saying, look, what we say and then what we do are two different things. And so as I live my life, I have to come to a realization, do I really believe certain things about the Scriptures? You know, we understand, what, what do I mean by are you satisfied or dissatisfied with God? And it means this, that how many times do we find ourselves complaining? How many times do we find ourselves complaining? Not just about big stuff, but also about the small stuff. You know, people complain constantly. They complain on the phone, after services, they complain about different things going on in their life. And ultimately, what God has revealed to me, he said, Chris, either you're satisfied with me or you're dissatisfied with me because all complaints ultimately go back to him. So as I thought about the daily complaints that I say, 
or I heard people say, it would be gas prices. How many times have you found yourself complaining about gas prices? It's three dollars. It's three oh eight. It's three fifteen. I looked up just this week uh, because I had heard on the news about there's a, a specific place in California that they're paying five dollars a gallon this week. And I thought, you know, in perspective, three dollars is really, really good, right? Car prices. Interest rate on car prices, some people are paying 20% on their interest rate. I mean, how can you pay $80,000 for a vehicle, $90,000, $100,000? This is crazy. When is it going to end and we complain about the car prices? What about food prices? I, it was funny. There's, you know, in your childhood, you remember certain things. I'll never forget. Uh, it was Food Line on, on Randman Road. Um, uh, I, actually, I'm sorry, Holden Road. And I was a little boy, and my mom had this grocery cart, and it was, I mean, the top was literally overflowing, and the bottom was filled up with stuff. It was, and I'll never forget, it rang up, and it was $100 even. And I went, wow, $100. Here recently, I think I bought some detergent and just a couple other things, and it was $40, and I walked out with a little old bag. And so we find ourselves complaining about the food prices. Would anybody like to take a guess of how many people die a day of starvation? It's 25,000 people a day. We complain about slow drivers, don't we? You're not supposed to drive in the left lane, slow drivers. That's not for you. But then we complain about people who are fast drivers. I can't believe they're going this fast. They're going to kill somebody. We complain about traffic jams. Was it this week? Well, on 40, it was the lady who went the wrong way, three-and-a-half-hour wait. How about the 20-and-a-half-hour wait there during the snowstorm two weeks ago? We complain about it being too cold. We complain about it being too hot. We complain about our marriage. We complain about people being single. I hate being single. I hate being married. Some people walk into a restaurant. They order their food and they almost eat the entire plate of food. And then they call the manager over there just to complain about how they didn't like their food. We ultimately know they're trying to get it for free, right? I mean, that's what you're doing. Let's just be real. In fact... I'll never forget a statement that uh, a, a waitress said. She said, I hate the, sac the, the, the Sunday church crowd. She said, I hate to see them walk in. She said, because they're mean and they complain. That's all I get, and they don't tip. She said, I hate to see the people come from church. That is the world's perspective of that Sunday afternoon crowd. You see, I believe society breeds this. You know, I think sometimes people walk into church and they fold their arms and they're saying, you need to bless me. You need to do this for me. The singing wasn't good enough. The preaching wasn't good enough. The preaching was too long. The preaching was too short. The music was way too loud today. The music wasn't loud enough today. I want you to understand why we do what we do. I literally had a phone call 
about uh, four months ago in the morning, and somebody said, Chris, we don't do enough hymns. We just don't. Two hours later, I had somebody call me, and they were upset. They said, Chris, we do too many hymns. And I busted out laughing. Of course, they got mad at me, and I said, do you want to know the conversation I just had two hours ago with somebody? So you know why we do two hymns and two praise and worship songs? Because they're even. The heat is not right. The air conditioning is blowing on me. People complain. They I have to walk too far to my parking space. Would you put the parking spaces a little closer so I don't have to walk so far? Some of the worst complainers are often people that attend church every single Sunday. And society breeds it, does it? You see, in almost every conversation we hear complaining from people, discontentment breeds discontentment. You find yourself talking to people that you can, you can argue with or complain, and they complain back, and you're feeding each other. Discontentment breeds discontentment. People enjoy complaining. They don't want people complaining about them, but they enjoy complaining about other people. People enjoy running down other people. It makes them feel better about themselves. Society tells us, to be discontent with your house, tear it down, build another one, build bigger rooms, build bigger spaces, you know, the do-it-yourself shows. This is why they're so popular, because we need to expand, we need, we need to do it better. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house. There's nothing wrong with building a house. I'm saying that there's stuff that we have, and there's nothing wrong with it, and we want to get rid of it and get something new and new and new, because it's discontent. I'm complaining, I don't like this, I don't like that. Society also tells us to sell our cars and get newer, faster, better cars. Don't fix what's broken on yours, just get something newer. Go in debt. Society tells us that when we're not happy about our spouse, to get rid of them and get a new one. I heard of a pastor in the area that literally talked a husband in to get rid of the wife, not trying to work it out, not trying to help him through it to get rid of her. By the way, the Jews did this. They would, they would, once their wife got a little bit older, they would, they would get rid of their wife and they would get a younger wife. They would trade her in for a newer, younger model. Society breeds this discontentment, and we can complain about our marriages and what we don't like about that person. But I want to go ahead and say this, that that person was who you dated. You made that choice to be with them, too. But not only this, society tells us that we can protest in the streets. We can set fires to buildings that's not ours. We can destroy cars that are in the street that we didn't buy, that we didn't pay for. We can break into our nation's capital and we can do all the damage we want to. And we can show our discontent and destroy things and I don't have to be responsible. It doesn't matter if it's Black Lives Matter, if, it, if people are wanting to show their support for Trump. It doesn't matter. It's a discontent that we can destroy it, and it's not our responsibility. I can go tear somebody else's stuff up, and I don't have to be held responsible. That's what it's saying. But when they are held responsible, it's like, I can't believe you held me responsible. It's society is breeding this discontentment in our lives. And truthfully, believers have gone, gone right along with it. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be in a lot of passages, so you probably won't be able to keep up that much, so they're on the screen. 
But in Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve, and after the fall of, of uh, the first thing after the fall of Adam and Eve did, what did they do? They went and hid themselves. They realized that they were naked. Prior to this, they had no understanding that they were naked, and now they're ashamed. And so now God's walking around, and he's looking, quote-unquote, looking for Adam. He found him. Adam, where are you at? And in verse 3, the second part of this, it says, Hey, have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Have you done this? Adam, did you eat from this tree? Now, all of a sudden, it's like God is, is not God no more. Is he really trying to figure out that Adam ate from this tree? No, he says, okay, I want you to be honest and answer to me. The very first complaint that we see in all the Bible, it took three chapters to get into. And now he starts complaining. He said, it's the woman you gave to be with me. It's her fault. It's that woman's fault. We live in this society. This is, I'm showing you this is exactly what sin is. Our society says it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault, and let's blame shift the responsibility. I don't want to take responsibility for my life, so therefore I'm going to have to let somebody else take responsibility for it. I've said this over and over. If your kids leave the towel on the floor, you keep picking it up for them, you're, they're saying, look, I'm lazy. It's not my responsibility, mom and dad, it's your responsibility. You are hurting them. Let them be responsible for the towel on their floor, for the room that they have. Let them be responsible. Because if not, we're breeding discontentment, we're breeding complainers, we're breeding people that are saying, it's not my fault. And so Adam said, it's the woman you gave me. So let me explain this. This is very important. Who chose Adam's wife? Did Adam have a choice in this? No. It's very clear. Adam and God and Eve, everybody understood this concept that God chose Adam's wife. God chose Eve. And now he says, it's your fault. Let me tell you the important principle of this. When Adam complained, he said, God, I'm ultimately dissatisfied with you. And I'm dissatisfied with your plan. That's what he's saying. You see, when we're complainers, and we find ourselves constantly complaining about things, the real thing, there's a deeper sin issue really going on in our life. It's not something, oh, I'm just complaining about this, I just want, I just want to vent. There's something serious, more serious, as we constantly complain as believers. And this is what it is. There's... There's a word that the Bible uses called sovereign. And the question, and I've taught on sovereignty, I've taught about all this, and so here's the definition. <clears throat> Basically, a simple definition is God has complete control over everything. And the question I have for you is, do you believe that God is sovereign? Seriously, do you? I want every believer to ask themselves this right now. Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that God is in control of everything that goes in and out of our lives from the smallest detail? You see, if you believe that the Bible is absolute truth, then we're going to have to go to the Scriptures to find out what does it teach us. Psalms 115 says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever 
he pleases. Now, I want to tell you, some of us are going to struggle with this verse because some of the things that are allowed to come in and out of our lives or in and out of this nation or this country, things that happened in the 40s with all the Jews, God allowed that. And you know what? We don't understand what he's trying to do always. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, saith the Lord. We don't always understand why he allowed that child to die, that person to be in the car wreck. We lost two people this week in car wrecks, did we not? We don't understand why, why Debbie Garner just laid down to go to sleep and she's no longer with us. We don't understand this. So we have to come to the point in our life that either I'm going to believe God or I'm not. I mean, there is no middle road here. Jeremiah says, oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and you made the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. Nothing is too much or too hard for you. Proverbs 19 says, many are the plans in a person's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that ultimately is going to prevail. You see, when you begin to understand that there's nothing that comes in and out of our lives that God is not aware of or in control of, this is what we have to understand. I am complaining against the sovereign God. Because when I, when I complain to a God, you claim that He is not sovereign. And ultimately, I'm dissatisfied with your plan. You see the seriousness of when we complain? So next week, we're going to get into Philippians and work through what the New Testament says, more so the Old Testament today and the reasons we do complain. But Philippians 2 says, do all things without complaining. The word complaining here is murmuring, muttering, a secret debate, a secret displeasure, not openly announced. It's like, it's under the breath. Ah, that wife, I was... I can't believe I hate it when she does that. It's a muttering. Or it's, you know what? I don't like that preacher. I think the songs were too loud. It's, and we're going we're gonna to expand upon this how we're dissatisfied. We see this in the book of Acts. He said, now at the time, as the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint developed. This is the word. The Why? Because their widows were being overlooked. People, they were sick or they didn't have food. And it was like, well, we're not being taken care of. I didn't get a call from the apostle. He left me out this week. I guess they just don't care over there. Did you, know, did you know that they didn't even call me one time? They didn't call and check on me. You know why? Because they probably didn't know. Or they were so overwhelmed, and this is the truth here, they were so overwhelmed with everything that was going on, and the church was growing so fast that it became a new problem. And you know what? They handled the problem. They expanded the deacons. And this is why deacons are important. Because the pastor cannot reach out to every single person. The deacons have to do this. That's the job. Not to run meetings. Not to be in control. But to minister to the people. That's what the deacon's job is. 
And so they were complaining. They were murmuring, I'm not getting taken care of. That person got attention from the apostle and the deacon, but I didn't get no Bojangles brought to me. I didn't get this. I didn't get that. And they fold their arms and they're mad. This is what happened. But then we look, and he continues on. He says, do all things without complaining or what? Arguments. The word argument here is a, is a, a dialogue. It's a reasoning, purpose, design, debating. It's questioning, disputing. And dialoguing is a very important word in our day, and we see it all the time. And people want to dialogue with God about how he's wrong and what he's doing wrong or why I don't trust you. In Luke, we says, now an argument started among them as to which might be the greatest. Do you remember? I, I spoke on this the other day, and I said that, that the, the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest. And remember, he grabs the child, he sits it on, the last, on his lap, and he said, look, until you have the faith and the understanding as this child and the humility as this child, he said, you're not going to be great. I said, I said this at Debbie's funeral. Debbie was great. In heaven. But Debbie would have never made the list on earth of greatness. And the, this argument started about who was the greatest because I did this and you didn't do this. And so I'm arguing with you. I'm complaining against you. You know I've said this over and over. Husbands and wives, if you are constantly complaining and arguing with one another, just remember this. Tomorrow they may not be there because they may be taken out of this world. And all those little things you argue and you complain about, guess what, do they really matter? At the end of the day, does it matter? And so what I want to show us is today, some of the worst complaining in all the Bible is coming from who? God's own children, the children of Israel. And so what I did, I just simply went through the scriptures as they were coming out of Egypt, and I said, well, what initiated their complaining? And then we're going to quickly look at what God did as a result of this. In Exodus chapter 14, the Egyptians were coming out after them, and they became very frightened. The word frightened is yer in the, in the Hebrew. I wanted you to see that. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but there probably is a real fear when Pharaoh and all these... Um, these horses and these chariots, and they're coming after them, and they're coming to kill them. And they're making their way out of Egypt, and you're not moving almost a million people quickly anywhere. And so they're getting ready. Pharaoh wants them back. And see, you have the Red Sea in front of them. You have Pharaoh's people behind them. And the Bible says that they became very frightened. And then look at what they said. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Now, can you imagine this complaint? Can you imagine the hollering, the screaming? What, what we couldn't be buried? Was there no place to bury us in, in Egypt? They weren't going to bury all of us. So we're going to be killed out here in the wilderness where the graves are going to be easier. Is this why you did this, Moses? Now, what was Moses doing? He was simply following the Lord's command. Moses didn't have any control over this situation. He was simply doing what God told him to do. And now he's getting, what, Moses? What are you trying to do? What, what do you, why did you lead us out here? What are you doing? 
And then they say in verse 12, Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Wow. You're like, you don't even sound like one of God's children right now. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in this wilderness. What is something that initiates complaints? The first thing that I see in the children of Israel, fear. Fear. Fear initiates complaining. I think we get fear when we see a dangerous intersection or a bad curve or we yell at our spouse when the door is left unlocked. They think it should be locked or Fear has initiated a bus driver shortage. People have complained. I saw a lady on the news saying, Guilford County's not doing enough. They should do a better job. And I thought, there's 79 bus drivers out. What are they supposed to do? They should do a better job. Because I don't want my kid getting on a transit bus and taking the, 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 the bus to go to their school. They have to walk 10 minutes. I wanted to say my parents walk both ways, up in the snow, uphill both ways for 20 minutes every, even in the summer. Ask them. They have to walk to school. They can't be let off. I mean, fear has initiated. My daughter's not getting on this transit bus because we don't know. Fear. So with fear comes complaining. Now listen to God's response to this fear, this complaining. Exodus chapter 14 verse 30 says, So the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw that the Egyptians were dead on the seashore. And this is an amazing story. The Red Sea, even though people try to say that the Red Sea was opened up in a very narrow opening, and it was almost dry ground anyway there. No, it was opened up. They've got proof of this where they found chariots in some of the deepest parts of the Red Sea. It opened up. They walk across dry ground, which is a miracle in itself, right? And God... God let all the water fall on the Pharaoh. Verse 31, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people what? Yeah, same word, feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You see, what happens is when we have fear that enters into our life and some people live on a fearful everyday basis... You sit there and you worry constantly about your grandchildren or your children. And you stay in fear. That's why some of you have high blood pressure. That's why some of you have different things going on with your body. That's why you're having physical disabilities. That's why you can't leave the house. Because you, you just live in fear all the time. Ultimately, fear is this. Is it complaining against God? And you're saying, God, I'm fearing because you're not really in control. And ultimately, I'm dissatisfied with you. And you know what? It's okay if you want to live in fear. That's your choice. But you can't say, I am a believer. And I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to live my daily life in fear. They do not go hand in hand. You can't claim it. Is God sovereign or is he not? Is he in complete control or is he not? 
But then we look at Exodus 17 too. There's another complaining issue. He said, so the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Moses was saying, back off. You know, Moses had to say this. Don't you remember what just happened? The man opened up an entire ocean. The entire sea. And you walked across on dry ground. Do you think he's going to bring you out here to die of thirst? Hey, let's look back, people. But Moses is losing it. The complaining has drove him to the, to, the, to the ground. He's like, I'm so sick of hearing it. Verse 3 says, But the people were thirsty for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? The second thing I see a why what draws complaints is lack of daily needs. The lack of daily needs. In fact, I'm not, I didn't put it up here. Verse 4 says this. He goes to Aaron, I mean, he goes before the Lord and he says, God, they've picked up stones and they're getting ready to kill me. These people wasn't like, whew, I'm thirsty. We're going to kill you, Moses, and we're going to put somebody else in here that's in charge. They have picked up stones and are ready to kill him. This is the seriousness of this situation. You know, I find ourselves complaining about when I don't have something. I didn't get something. The little things... How many of you walked into the grocery store on Friday and the shelves were empty? You're like, I can't believe they hadn't stocked the shelves. I didn't get my apple pie. I mean, I got the Food Line brand, but I didn't get Mrs. Winter's apple pie, whatever, right? We're talking about daily needs. 25,000 people a day die of hunger. The majority of us can walk into our pantries and open it up and they're about stuff about falls out don't you love it when your kids would do that they'd open up the pantry go to this pantry go to this pantry open up a full refrigerator say there's nothing to eat in here look at God's response in verse 5 after he says they're going to kill me verse 5 says this then the Lord said to Moses pass before the people take with you some elders of Israel take your hand and your staff which you struck the Nile and he go behold I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb and I shall strike you shall strike the rock and water's going to come out of it so that the people may drink it's amazing that how God responds to these people in mercy and in grace. Here, here's the thing. David says this. Not one time has my God ever left me begging bread. Have you ever done without? Seriously. Have you ever done without a need? Understanding the difference between a need and a want. Have you ever done without? How many times can you go back in your life and say he supplied here right on time, right on time, right on time? Did any of these people die of thirst? No, because God responded to the need. Then we go to Numbers chapter 12. And we have 
Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Because of the Cushite woman that he had married. For he had married the Cushite woman. Here's two complaints. Moses marries a black Ethiopian woman. And they're mad. They're not mad because of interracial marriage. They're mad because they believe Moses shouldn't marry somebody from another nation. And so... In Numbers chapter 12, too, he says, And they said, It is a fact that the Lord has spoken only through Moses. He has not spoken through us as well. And the Lord heard this. You know what they're saying? Moses is not the only one that's hearing from God, y'all. I mean, we can have some relationship with God, too, and I can take control. You know what? Oftentimes, we disagree with leadership. And we forget that God is the one who placed those leaders there. I'm not saying that leaders are always right, and I'm saying there's, there's times to take a stand against when they go against the Scriptures. I'm not saying that. But I want you to understand that God has all leaders in His hands, and there's nothing going to be done without His knowledge and without His okay. He even uses the devil to complete His work. Understand, that's how powerful God is. So when you say, oh, the devil's really been at work, trust me, it's only because God allowed it. Look at God's response here. Now, when Moses was very humble, more than any other person who was on the face of the earth, here's the description about Moses. He said he was the very humble more than any other person. And verse 7 says, It is not this way for my servant Moses. He is faithful in my household. He said he is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And with him I speak mouth to mouth, that is openly and not using mysterious language. And he beholds the form of the Lord, so that you are not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. God was the one to speak in this conversation with Moses. And he says, who do you think you are? Talking about the leadership that I put before you. Who do you think you are complaining against the leadership? Wow. How many times have we complained against our bosses or complained against certain officials? We find ourselves in this spirit of constantly complaining. I'm thankful Facebook doesn't have any complainers on it, aren't y'all? So not only... Not only disagreeing with leadership, but there's something else. Numbers 13, but the man who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against these people. Do you remember when they sent the spies in and they're getting ready to walk into the new land, the land that was promised to them? And they come up and they said, no, 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 we can go. Everybody's too strong. God's going, okay, you can go in, you can go in, you can go in. And here's, here's, here's ten people that says we cannot. We know that two of them said we can go. So they brought the bad report of the land which had spied out on the sons of Israel and all the people whom we saw in it are people of great statue. Oh, these people are giants and they were giants. Numbers 14 says, And all the congregation raised their voices and they cried out. The people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Ten people convinced all of these people that they couldn't do it. Ten people said it couldn't happen. And the whole congregation followed after them. 
and got so angry and said, Moses, were you doing this? I can't believe it. Can you imagine the murmuring and the complaining? You know what? Something initiates bad news. I mean, initiates complaining is bad news. <gasps> I can't. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. There are terrible things that happen in this world all along. And I want to ask you this. Does bad news start your complaining spirit? Because when it does, we're saying God had no idea that that was going to take place. That, that news was going to happen. He had no idea. The response to this, he said, certainly all the people who have seen my glory, my signs which I performed in Egypt and in wilderness yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice. God is done. Okay? And I've often wondered, when is it that he says, I'm done with your mouth? And I'm done with your spirit, your complaining spirit. It's constant. And he said, Israel, I'm done with you. Verse 23, shall by no means see the land which land where I swore their fathers, nor shall any of those who were uh, disrespected to me, they see it. Verse 27, how long shall I put up with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which we are voicing against me. He said, just because of the constant bickering, the constant complaining against Moses, against me, ultimately, he said, you will not see this land. In fact, you'll stay in this wilderness for a very long time until the generations has passed and the new generation will see it. God is making something very clear to us about grumbling and complaining. Despite fear, lack of daily things, leadership, and bad news, every complaint is ultimately against God. So here's the consequences of complaining. He said, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I do to you. Verse 29, your dead bodies will fall in the wilderness, your numbered men according to your complete number, from 20 years old and upwards, and you have grumbled against me. What was the, rea what was the reaction of God to all the grumbling and complaining? He says, you're going to die in this wilderness. That's what's going to happen to you. And then we move on. Remember the Korah, where they were complaining against God? He said to them, you have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves from the assembly of the Lord? And the earth opened his mouth and swallowed them, their households, and all the people who belongs to Korah with all their possessions. They went into hell alive. Why? Because, not because of their complaining, their, their rejection of God. They're complaining against God because all complaining really is dissatisfaction with God, and you're not really God. And then we have another story. In this part of this story, what did he do when all the leaders were, were complaining against him? And they stood before Moses together with sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly to complain against them. Fire also came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men who were offering incense. They were consumed by fire. Sorry. They were consumed by fire. This was the reaction to God. He is done with the complaining, with the murmuring, with the bickering.
And then, last, numbers. But on the next day, all the congregation, sons of Israel, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. He said, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. And God sent a plague. 14,700 people died of this plague. Death by plague. God's response. Man, you wonder if some of the things that come in and out of our lives and some of the punishments and some of the things that the result of where our nation's at, do you think it has to do with maybe our attitude and our complaining spirit and our grumbling and our murmuring against the Lord? You think that's just why God may be allowing some of the things he's allowing? I think Lamentation says it best, and I'm done. He says, of what can any living mortal or any man complain in view of his sins? He said, who are you to complain as a sinful creature who's been purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who claims to have a God that is in complete control. You know, as we come before this time in communion, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I really satisfied with God? You see, we're going to look at a passage, you'll see that in the New Testament, that people had sin in their hearts. And he said, this is why some of you are, are sick or even dead, because you're coming before the Lord's table any way you want, and you're not repenting of your sin. I want to ask you, we're going to finish this up in Philippians next week. And it, I mean, it, it is so clear. But I want to ask you, is this your spirit? Is this your spirit? Is it because of fear or, or bad news? Or what is it that brings on the complaints? When you sit at the restaurant this afternoon or tonight, are you going to sit there and say, well, this wasn't good and this wasn't good and this wasn't good? And these people say, did you just come from church? Because you sound like it. I know this is not a traditional communion message. But I think it's perfect. Because these are the things that we often overlook as, this is not a big deal. I'm just venting. But you're going to have to ask yourself this question. As I complain against my spouse, against my children, against the food prices, against gas prices, against this and that and the other, who am I really complaining against? Who's it really against? As Sarah comes to play, we're going to have an invitation you can pray at your seat. You can come to this altar. This is in preparation for the Lord's Supper. But what he has spoke to you in the heart, I think sometimes we sound just like the children of Israel despite the miracles that we've seen around in our lives. Father, we love you today. And Lord, ultimately you want our lives to match our mouth. And God... As, as true believers, that's what we should desire. We should want what we say and what we do to honor you and to be revealed as somebody who is sanctified and redeemed.
We thank you for shedding your blood on the cross for us. We thank you for this. But God, ultimately, as we look, don't let any of us come before this table with sin in our heart. Let us look back and see, is this us? In Jesus' name, amen. Sarah's going to play, heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar's open.